The sounds of the overhead rotors were deafening. He couldn't feel the sweltering heat of Vietnam as the open door sent in a wash of air to cool him off. He started taking account of what he had brought with him and began patting himself down. Roy laughed as he pulled a small bottle of Tabasco sauce from his pocket. He had been eating breakfast when he had heard the initial call for help. He looked up as the pilot gave the signal that they were going to land in five minutes. After an initial inventory of his belongings, Roy only had a knife and medical bag. His fellow soldiers had been overrun when an NVA team discovered them. Despite the fact that he was sorely unprepared, he had his wits about him and the determination to save those who could not save themselves. He knew they would do the same for him. Roy suddenly felt himself become lighter as the helicopter descended into the thick jungle below. This is it, he told himself. This episode is dedicated to U.S. Army Master Sergeant Roy P. Benavides. Roy was in the 5th Special Forces Group, Green Berets, and Military Assistance Command, Vietnam Studies and Observations Group, or MACV-SOG. Benavides was born on August 5, 1935, in Lindanao, near Cuero, Texas, in DeWitt County. His Mexican-American father, Salvador, was a sharecropper and vaquero, a cowboy. His mother, Teresa, was a Yaqui Native American. When Roy was three, his father died of tuberculosis, and his mother moved him and his younger brother out of the ranch where they worked and lived. Back in Cuero, Teresa soon found work as a housekeeper for a doctor. She remarried a year later and welcomed a daughter into the world with her new husband. Roy would roam the dusty streets of Cuero, the small cattle town, working odd jobs for locals. He was small for his age and would often get into fights with other boys. It was a great joy of his to wrestle kids who were bigger than him to the ground until they yelled for mercy. When Roy was six, his mother was succumbing to tuberculosis, just as his father had. His stepfather, Pablo, had already said that he didn't want to raise the Benavides boys on his own and would send them to an orphanage. Weeks before she died, Teresa sent word to Nicholas Benavides, her late husband's brother, that her boys would soon be orphaned. After their mother's death, Roy and Roger were sent to live with their aunt and uncle in El Campo, 85 miles away. It was there that Roy met Salvador, his grandfather, and the eight cousins he would be living with. Salvador would always encourage Roy to get an education and to work hard to bring honor to his name. As soon as school let out in the spring, the family packed up and headed for the sugar beet fields in northern Colorado. After the beets were cleared, the family moved again to West Texas to pick cotton. Then it was back to El Campo, Texas for school in the fall. This pattern continued throughout Roy's school years. While in school, 
Roy was seen as a troublemaker. His uncle Nicholas was called into the principal's office many times to take Roy home after he would get into trouble. When the stories were told, Nicholas saw Roy more as a peacemaker. Nicholas Benavides was well aware of racism at the school and encouraged Roy in the honor of restraint. He didn't always have to respond with physical violence. Nicholas taught Roy the morals and values he would carry with him for the rest of his life. Roy dropped out of high school at the age of 15 and instead of getting into physical fights, redirected his anger in the form of boxing. He won many fights, but after being defeated in the state championship, Roy hung up his boxing gloves for good. Back home, he began working at a local gas station to help support the family instead of continuing on in his high school education. After speaking with a military recruiter, in 1952, Benavides enlisted in the Texas Army National Guard, and in June 1955, he enlisted in the regular army. After being stationed in Berlin, West Germany, Roy returned back to the States. In 1959, he married Hilaria, or Lala, Coy, who he had grown up with in Cuero. The newlyweds moved to Fort Gordon, Georgia, where Roy finished MP school. Several times he had applied for airborne school, but had been turned down. It had been a boyhood dream of his to be in the Army's Airborne Division. He had always looked up to the World War II hero, Adi Murphy, and even practiced parachuting by jumping out of barn lofts into a cushion of hay. After landing a job as a chauffeur driving generals around, Benavides worked up the courage and spoke to one one day. The conversation went well, the general put in a good word for him, and he was later accepted. Benavides completed airborne training and was assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. During his first deployment to South Vietnam in 1965, Benavides stepped on a landmine during a foot patrol and was evacuated back to the U.S. There, the doctors at Fort Sam Houston said he would never walk again and began preparing him for medical discharge. However, Benavides did not take the doctor's advice and began an unauthorized evening workout ritual in the attempt to redevelop his capacity to walk. He would get out of bed during the night, of course against doctor's orders, and would crawl using his elbows and chin to a wall near his bed. With the cheers and encouragement of the other patients, many of whom were paralyzed permanently or missing limbs, Roy would support himself against the wall and try to lift himself independently. He would then move his toes, then he was able to wiggle his feet, and finally, after a few months of agonizing self-motivation that usually left him in painful tears, he was able to prop himself against the wall, unaided with his ankles and legs. After over a year at Fort Sam Houston Hospital, Benavides walked out in July 1966 with his wife beside him. He had only one goal in mind, to return to combat in Vietnam. Benavides returned to Fort Bragg and began training for the elite Army Special Forces. Once qualified and approved, he became a member of the 5th Special Forces Group and the Studies and Observations Group, SOG. The SOG was mainly made up of operators from the Army Special Forces, the newly formed Navy SEALs, Air Force Combat Controllers, CIA agents, and parts of Marine Force Recon Units. This highly trained Special Forces Group operated in vital recon missions in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. They specialized in apprehending enemy soldiers, extracting pilots who had gone down, and conducting POW recovery missions in Southeast Asia. SOG members were also trained for black ops and psychological warfare. 
Despite the ongoing pain from his wounds, Benavides returned to South Vietnam in January 1968. On May 2nd, 1968, Benavides would go down in history. A 12-man Special Forces patrol set out on a mission. Nine members of the group were Monarch Yard tribesmen, local Hmong Highlanders who were recruited by the SOG. Soon, the patrol was surrounded by a North Vietnamese company and under intense fire. Being interrupted from breakfast, Benavides heard the radio appeal for help. He ran to a helicopter and asked the pilot if he was headed back in. Armed with only a knife and medical bag, Benavides strapped in for the flight that would take him to the SOG team who were in a desperate fight for their lives. If this had been a routine mission, Benavides would have brought his carbine rifle with him and would have been more prepared. He had no web gear, no rucksack, and no other essential gear with him. However, this was no normal operation. His fellow soldiers were out there somewhere, and he wanted to make a difference and turn the advantage against the NVA, North Vietnamese Army. As the choppers neared the firefight, they began taking heavy enemy fire. With tracer rounds barely missing the windscreen, the pilot didn't think he could get Benavides close enough. Roy shouted at the pilot to hover in place that he would instead go to them. He took a deep breath, pushed the medical bag out of the door, and jumped to the ground below. Benavides finally reached the SOG team and examined the wounded. After loading several onto a waiting helicopter, the soldiers on the ground watched in horror as the bird lifted away and then crashed moments later. Roy and other non-wounded rushed to the crash scene to search for survivors. After pulling several critically wounded out, Roy spoke to a few able-bodied men around him and organized them into a fire team, urging them to save their bullets and only shoot when necessary. Later, one of the men with him wrote in a statement, Benavides was seriously wounded. He crawled around, constantly under fire, and gave tactical orders, took charge of air support, medical aid, ammunition, and saw to it that we positioned ourselves in a way that we could increase our chances of survival, inflict maximum casualties on the enemy, and secure the PZ, the pickup zone, against almost impossible odds. The men thought the fight had almost been lost until Roy's courage, action, words, and coolness turned the tide. After securing the first group, Roy crawled in the high grass to another group of soldiers who were pinned down. With the help of one of the Green Berets, Roy tended to the wounded and began to call in air support to direct their fire at the enemy. After the fast movers dropped their ordnance, gunship helicopters came in to finish the rest of the enemy. It was at this time that the first evac helicopter landed to take Roy and the remaining SOG members out. With the wounded soldiers slung over his shoulders, Roy sprinted for the waiting Huey. All of a sudden, an NVA soldier stood up from his hiding place and clubbed Roy in the back of the head with the butt of his rifle. While still in a daze, having dropped the wounded soldier, Roy barely had enough time to gather his wits when the NVA soldier bashed him again in the face. Roy grabbed the only weapon he had, his knife, and lunged at the soldier, but not before the NVA plunged his bayonet into Roy's left forearm, pulled it out, and stabbed at Roy's side. Thinking fast, Benavides grabbed the rifle barrel and plunged his knife into his opponent's chest. I'm okay, he shouted at one of the Green Berets from across the field. Roy grabbed the wounded soldier he had dropped and continued sprinting toward the Huey. After loading the soldier onto the helicopter, the medic noticed Roy had a gaping abdominal wound. Benavides could have just jumped into the safety of the helicopter and remained with them. However, he turned around and staggered back to the fight.
He passed several soldiers making their way to the helicopter. He was told there were more men who needed help, and he disappeared into the tall grass in the thick of the battle. Back on board the helicopter, the men saw Benavides shouldering one of the Monarchyard tribesmen who had fought alongside with the Green Berets. He made it to the chopper and placed the wounded man onto the slick. Roy was still firing his weapon as he gave the thumbs up to lift off. He was the last one on board when the chopper left. As the helicopter cleared the trees, the medic began assessing the wounded to see who needed first aid. He mentioned later, It was a little more than putting the live people on top of the dead. We had so many seriously wounded that the blood flowed out of the helicopter. Of the original 12-man SOG team, only six made it out alive, but were all critically wounded. After he boarded the helicopter, Roy had climbed over the pile of dead bodies and found a resting spot near the pilot seats. There, he leaned back against the console and passed out. When they landed at Lok Ning, the medics found that Roy wasn't moving. His eyes were covered with dry blood and his arms sat motionless across a large abdominal wound. Thought to be dead, he was placed on the ground beside other KIA. It was then discovered that Roy had accidentally loaded some dead NVA soldiers into the helicopter. In the heat of battle, he had thought them as friendlies and hastily put them in with the rest of the Green Berets. Later, Roy would mention that he could hear what was going on around him. Due to his dark features and short stature, the medics thought he was one of the enemy NVA. He was unable to move anything, paralyzed with shock, couldn't open his mouth or his eyes, much less speak. Roy was powerless as he was lifted up and placed into a body bag next to dead NVA. He recalled later, The zipper was coming up and I couldn't tell this guy, I'm still alive! One of his fellow Green Berets was standing nearby and recognized Roy as he was nearly zipped up. He called a doctor over to confirm if Benavides was still alive. As soon as Roy felt the doctor's hand on his chest to check his pulse, he summoned all the energy he had and spit in the doctor's face. Benavides was taken immediately to surgery, where it was discovered that he had a total of 37 separate bayonet, bullet, and shrapnel wounds from the six-hour fight with the enemy battalion. After he was stabilized, he was evacuated once again back to the U.S., this time to Brook Army Medical Center, where he eventually recovered after many surgeries and rehab. While still in the hospital, he received the Distinguished Service Cross for Extraordinary Heroism and Four Purple Hearts. In 1969, he was assigned to Fort Riley, Kansas. In 1972, he was transferred to Fort Sam Houston, Texas, where he remained until his retirement. In 1973, after more detailed accounts were declassified and became available, Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel Ralph R. Drake insisted that Benavides receive the Medal of Honor. By then, however, the time limit on the medal had expired. An appeal to Congress resulted in an exemption for Benavides, but the Army Decorations Board denied him an upgrade of his Distinguished Service Cross to the Medal of Honor. The Army Board required an eyewitness account from someone present during the action, and Benavides believed that there were no living witnesses of the six hours in hell. On February 24, 1981, President Ronald Reagan presented Roy P. Benavides with the Medal of Honor. Reagan reportedly turned to the press and said, If the story of his heroism were a movie script, you would not believe it. He then read the official award citation. In 1976, 
Benavides, his wife, and their three children returned home to El Campo, Texas, after he was honorably discharged from the army. Benavides devoted his remaining years to the youth of America, speaking to them about the importance of staying in school and getting an education. His message was simple. An education is the key to success. Bad habits and bad company will ruin you. Roy Benavides died on November 29, 1998, at the age of 63, at Brook Army Medical Center, having suffered respiratory failure and complications from diabetes. His body was escorted to St. Robert Bellarmine's Catholic Church, where he had married, where his three children were married, and where he attended Mass every Sunday as a kid. He was then returned to Fort Sam Houston's main chapel for a public viewing. Family friend Archbishop Patrick Flores of the San Antonio Diocese presided over a Catholic funeral mass at San Fernando Cathedral located in San Antonio. Benavides was buried with full military honors at Fort Sam Houston National Cemetery, San Antonio, Texas. I recommend the book titled Legend by Eric Blem, which I used as a reference for many of the details of this episode that recounts the life of Roy Benavides. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Remember My Name podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at RememberMyNamePodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at RememberMyNamePodcast and Twitter at RMNPodcast. Now take a minute and remember this name, Roy Benavides. Roy Benavides.